because a lot of people are kind of down on government, but I think there's a lot of really exciting roles that government can play when they play them correctly. Um, and there's such a wide swath of industries and parts of energy that government touches. And so I got a lot of my experience starting off there before I came and started working in the private sector with Scale Microgrid Solutions. We are here to try to explain to you what it is we do here. The solar industry in the U.S. employs more people than Google, Apple, Facebook, and Twitter combined. The most valuable commodity I know of is information. Wouldn't you agree? Welcome into the Green Insider Podcast, powered by E-Renewable. I am your host, Fred Davis, joined, as always, by E-Renewable President, Mr. Mike Niemer. Mike, how are you today? It's another Monday, Fred, so we're off and running. We are off and running, and of course, uh, all eyes are on the... uh, on the Gulf, uh, the Gulf Coast, as we have not one but two hurricanes bearing down on the uh, the great state of Texas, and of course, uh, you know, and that that dovetails beautifully with our guest today, uh, Miss Sammy Reefer, Director of Special Projects over at Scale Microgrid Solutions, and what makes this such a perfect coming together is the fact that. We expect, Mike, as as longtime Houstonians, that if this weather event turns into the kind of weather event that some of the folks are saying it might, there's a good chance we're going to be without power. And the folks that have microgrids here in the great state of Texas, well, guess what? They won't miss a beat, which is music to the ears of one Miss Sammy Reefer. Sammy, how are you today on this beautiful Monday afternoon? I'm doing very well. Excited to be here. Thank you so much for having me on. Thank you so much for taking time. And um, so... As we just said, listen, microgrids could play a very uh, uh, crucial part in, in what happens in the next few days here in Texas. Um, we're seeing a growing uh, adherence to microgrids and a proliferation of microgrids because of what they're able to do, take some stress off the grid, provide power in situations like what we're going to experience, and more importantly, help provide power in situations of what's going on in your home state uh, of California and what's very near and dear to your heart as they're facing an issue of yes, they're trying to, you know, they're they're trying to put microgrids out there. So they they they, you know, as we all say, as, as the old saying goes, you know, the road to hell is paved with good intentions, and so they have good intentions with trying to put these microgrids out. But you, Miss Reefer, you and some of your folks over there are thinking, well, there's things that we could do just a little bit better that might help kind of speed up this process and maybe streamline how these microgrids and we can get it out faster and safer and more efficiently. Yeah, no, absolutely. So to provide a little bit of context for what's happening out in California, back at the end of 2018, the California legislature passed Senate Bill 1339, which essentially directed the California PUC to roll out uh, a docket that would improve and allow the commercialization of microgrids in the state of California to help with things like what you saw last week in the state where they had rolling blackouts due to heat waves. Right now, we're in 2020, it took the commission a year to open up this docket, and which is unfortunate because 2018 was when we first had this peak of wildfires that were happening in the state, right, which were at the time the worst wildfires to hit 
California. Then 2019 came, and those were then a new record-breaking set of fires for the state. And now here we are in 2020, 300 fires are erupting across the state of California right now. And we're just getting into the meat of building what the legislation actually directs the commission to do, which is create a microgrid tariff. And while, and, and so far, it's easier to think of how the commission has approached this uh, to date. So they've broken up this microgrid proceeding into three tracks. The first was opened at the beginning of 2019 with the focus of trying to get quick, low-hanging fruit that could help uh, customers before the 2019 fire season, which you know, is getting longer and longer every year, but we typically stay starts in June, the worst impacts of which being in October. That closed out in April and then essentially only provided resources for microgrid developers that were targeting small residential systems and also only solar plus storage. Getting in, and that was with the promise that we would be addressing a microgrid tariff within the next proceeding which we are in the midst of now and have yet to actually see something come out from the commission. Instead, it's really focused around microgrid pilots, which we developers have been developing and operating microgrids for 25 years. We know how to build and operate cost-effective microgrids that provide resiliency, not only to our customers, but to the macro grid. And not only for the macro grid, but when you provide microgrids for critical critical facilities, they can like grocery stores, big box retailers, hospitals, they're providing those services to the macro community during times of need like public safety power shutoffs and wildfires. And so what we're really trying to focus, and by us, I mean Scale Microgrid Solutions, the Microgrid Resources Coalition, Bloom Energy, Schneider Electric, is really trying to push the commission on getting a microgrid tariff, which will, when regulated properly, allow microgrids to pay for the services they take from the grid at a fair price, to be paid for the services they provide the grid, uh, and to be allowed to service all the services that they can provide in a way that's not allowed typically or currently in the side California regulation. So what do they, but so how's that differ from what they're trying to propose now, as far as what, what do they, what does the state want to do? The state right now is putting the regulation in the hands of utilities and allowing utilities to build microgrids only for specific purposes, usually some community or critical resilience facilities that are owned and operated by the utility and do not allow developers to come in and build out these projects more cost effectively. So the key here is really going to be unlocking private sector funding to build out the capacity required for California to meet their resilience and sustainability goals by 2050. So how it's intended and built right now, California is very much limiting like the microgrid development pilots to 15 projects or 10 megawatts, which is not a commercialization of microgrids. If we're able to commercialize microgrids, we're able to add that capacity onto the grid to help California service the grid and their customers in a way that's much more cost effective and manageable than what they're doing right now. Who's the biggest opponent right now? Is it the utilities that don't want this uh, commercialization and they want to have the control over where these uh, where these microgrids go? Absolutely. And I think, you know, they have very real safety concerns in terms of community microgrids and you know, they don't want live wires that they don't understand. And when they have their service people out there and managing them, 
they don't, that's a big risk for them to not know what wires are on and what wires are off. However, there's a lot of microgrids that are single customer, like what scale microgrid solutions builds behind the meter that don't have those risks that will still service customers in a cost-effective, resilient, sustainable manner uh, without having to deal with all the complexity that comes with the community microgrid. And we can get those uh, projects and questions dealt with in a microgrid tariff. And so I think there's a lot of questions on like the commission and from the utilities, primarily around cost shifting, right? And so how people have thought about solar and other uh, distributed energy resources is that you know, these customers are coming on, putting their solar onto the grid, and then they're not paying for all the grid services that they technically, that the utility contracted for, but are not, um, but they're, and they're still receiving, but they have a big benefit and those costs are then getting shifted to all the customers without solar. But that doesn't take into account all of the benefits that microgrids provide the grid. Microgrids are dynamic, manageable load. You typically, you know, the solar, same thing. It's not as manageable, but if it's paired with a battery or a natural gas generator, that's when we start to get the ancillary services that grids need that provide the decongestion services that that can help with the capacity issues that California was facing last week with the heat waves. Um, and by doing so, we'll be so in, like, and then using private sector funds to do that by allowing developers outside of utilities to build microgrids um, will be so in a much more cost-effective manner. Hey, Sam, a quick question here. For CNI customers that you have out there that want to be resilient, they've got a rooftop where they can have grids put in to, to be able to have as a backup, so to speak, okay? Is the utility giving you trouble for that? So when there's a, a brownout, they can turn themselves on because they have this grid in place? Or is it that also that they're fighting you on. So systems that are just backup are not a problem. Those are usually just like diesel generators that, uh, you know, will not push back onto the grid because the way it gets signaled doesn't have the same issues that something that's running in grid parallel will. Okay. Um, the issue really is these grid parallel systems that are interacting with the grid um, on a day-to-day -day operational basis. And that day-to-day -day operational basis is also what helps make microgrids uh, more cost-effective and more beneficial to the macro grid. So we can use our solar system and our batteries on a day-to-day -day basis to be reducing the load requirements of the utility, reducing the demand response to the customer, helping with some of the capacity issues the grid might be facing. And when we're properly compensated for those services, like on the East Coast, um, that's where we start to make back the money and the cost of the overall microgrid over the 20 year or 15 year or 10 year um, pay, like amortization period of the project. Gotcha. So just so just listening to this, it, 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 it sounds to me like with the utilities, they want to be able to control where the electricity is going, correct? I mean, if I'm just if I'm just going off of what you're telling me here. And so their concern is, all right, if we start letting folks, you know, if we start commercializing uh, uh, microgrids, we're not going to know where, you know, who's doing what as far as the electricity or where the electricity is going. So it sounds to me like maybe if you know if a you're you're putting in a, a financial aspect of it to say okay here this is this is a you know this is uh to kind of sweeten things up a little bit but it, I, i'm guessing is there there needs to be a logistical 
part of this too to say, okay, this is where this is going to go. And, and I mean, you know, hell, you, you look here in Texas and you got the, you know, 411, you know, dial before you dig type of deal. I mean, would something like that need to be put in place? Just more communication and more coordination with the utility uh, to ensure that, you know, grids just aren't being, you know, plopped up anywhere and wires are just flailing and loose and hot all over the place? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And that can all be, is typically handled in the interconnection process, okay. which right now uh, is, has more that can be done to make it more standardized, right? And yeah. so we have systems that are in con- interconnected across the United States that run in grid parallel mode and provide these services to the macro grid. And we have processes for interconnecting them. It's just, and it's a completely reasonable request of the utilities, right? But, you know, I think what's more kind of driving the issues of the utilities, um, and it, like, so that first part was the safety argument, but they're really also worried about losing their load and losing that revenue income, right? And having that cost shift from the, like how they've seen it in solar from like solar customers to the rest of the rate payers and see that from microgrids to the rest of the rate payers. But the cost shifting arguments are a little bit tired in this space for the reasons that I kind of got into earlier, but microgrids are not, you know, just taking load off and providing no benefits to the grid. Like if we optimize microgrids, you know, in a congested load area, then the utility can avoid a substation upgrade. Right. Or, you know, they can. I was going to say maintenance alone would probably be, I mean, just the savings you get in maintenance would probably make up for it. And then again, in the kind of the tariff, kind of like the cherry on top, like, okay, listen, this is our, we're, you know, we're incentivizing you to do this as well. Yeah, absolutely. And because microgrids right now are not compensated in the state of California for all the services that they can provide to the grid. And that's kind of where the tariff is going to come into play is making sure that allowing microgrids to operate how they can be of value and being fairly compensated in that manner. You know, earlier you referenced uh, California versus what's going on in the East Coast. Based on the little bit we've talked so far, compare the story in California to what you experience in the Northeast. And where are the similarities and where are the differences? Yeah, well, right now on the East Coast, we have PGM market where microgrids uh, can operate and sell their services for ancillary services predominantly and even more so frequency regulation into the grid. And so there's a process there for microgrid developers to have some assurances for the services that they can provide to the grid and the amount that they're going to be compensated typically about five years out. Um, And then they can use that for going out and developing microgrid projects. So a lot of this is really about reducing risk, right? So when you're building out large energy infrastructure projects and you're looking at over 20 year timelines, you're really looking at like, what are the revenue streams and what are the costs that are gonna be coming in and out and how can I get a positive ROI for my investor? Um, And so PGM has set up a market that allows microgrids to compete, that allows them to sell and get compensated at like a fair price with some certainty. In California, Right now, there's no. it's a very long interconnection process is probably one of the biggest issues. There's a lot of uncertainty for whether, for how standby charges and departing load charges are applied to projects and how much of, um, how much those actually cost and how much they will actually account for in each project. So how it's set up right now is each utility, uh, I, investor-owned utility, has discretion over what projects take on these extra de- departing load charges and standby charges. Um, and then how much like they actually apply that to each project. And 
with California, there's also a very limited demand response program. So it's been a little bit stifled where in the East Coast, it's um, very advanced to say the least. Um, and so with this tariff and, you know, it's not, we're not in California gonna get to a huge unregulated market like we have on the East Coast predominantly because of the burns that were left from the Enron area, or at least we're not gonna get to that by the end of this microgrid proceeding. But starting with a tariff that allows avenues for microgrids to participate and service the grid and get compensated for those services, um, while also providing clarity around how microgrids pay for the services they receive for the grid, for microgrids that run in grid parallel. Um, is gonna be what we're really looking for as the closest path to starting to get to where we are on the East Coast. What are you seeing from the public uh, as far as what do they want? I mean, are you starting to get a lot more? I mean, A, are you seeing more folks being educated and being more aware uh, of the benefits of the microgrid and kind of where do they stand as far as implementing them more? Because, I, I mean, I got to believe, and I know it gets hot in California. I mean, it, where it's, I mean, I, I couldn't imagine rolling blackouts here in Houston or in Texas. I think there'd probably be riots. Um, but, what, what, <laughs> you know, what is the feedback that you're seeing from the folks in California when it comes to microgrid? grids and, and, and being able to do this, uh, you know, more of a commercialization and more uh, distribution of such? Customers certainly want microgrids, but they are complex, large, and cost projects. And there's a little bit of a disconnect uh, in the, from the microgrid industry from like what customers think and want, right? So I think when most people think about microgrids, they think about large-scale community microgrids that are serving most multiple customers and not necessarily people like in the energy industry, but the actual customers that we're going and talking about, if they know anything about microgrids, they think, you know, multi-customer sites. And there's like a lot of work that's being pushed to really um, develop the conversation around that. So in the microgrid proceeding, there's a lot of CCAs, there's a lot of the local governments participating, and that's really how they think about microgrids and optimizing those resources. Um, for the single um, single meter behind the single customer behind the meter, excuse me, uh, projects, we're still getting to a point where we're trying to help customers understand that microgrids don't have to be as complicated, as time inefficient, as um, expensive as these community microgrid buildouts have helped the industry think of it, right? So we can deploy a microgrid within nine months uh, and help save customers 10 to 15% on their electricity bills. And there's a huge difference between that and like the four-year development timeline of these larger infrastructure projects where, you know, a lot of the customers are maybe more interested in the resiliency or the sustainability and looking for a little bit more cost parity or a little bit more than what they're used to paying or just not having spending all this time on projects that don't end up penciling out. Um, and so the educational piece of microgrids where Charlie's trying to start to focus the customer market around these productized modularized offerings that are, you know, actually market ready um, and kind of shift them away from this more complicated community microgrid project that isn't really technically legal in the state of California yet. Part of the microgrid proceeding is starting to open that up, but, you know, you kind of start to get into the issues of being a regulated utility when you start to serve a lot of different customers. Sammy, earlier you talked about uh, projects in California taking nine months to build roughly, and you're finding a 10 to 15% savings. Is that timetable to build and that savings applicable all across the country or only in certain pockets of the country? Uh, to help educate our listeners out there, tell them what you see. 
Yeah, those numbers are more specifically for California on the time to build for our rapid response modular microgrid, which is our modularized and productized uh, product that we're offering in California. That's a little bit more standard and close to nine months wherever you go in the country uh, due to the equipment and OEM agreements that we have in place. But um, for the pricing and the savings, that's really kind of dependent on how the microgrid can operate and service our customer and get compensated for those services. And also the electricity prices that they're already paying, which are obviously going to be a lot higher on the coasts. Yeah. Well, your company, um, Scale Microgrid Solutions, you, you build in many, many different states across this union and you see things all across this fine land. Tell us a little bit more about your company. Yeah, so Scale Microgrid Solutions is a vertically integrated microgrid solutions provider, which is a somewhat wordy way of saying that we build energy infrastructure projects and can help our customers along every point of project delivery. So we can help with the design and engineering, the construction, the financing, uh, the O&M, and that allows us to reduce the time and cost and efficiencies of typical microgrid development, which usually for all those roles combine 10 to 15 stakeholders to get a single project done. And they're all adding in their own risk margins and uh, soft costs that we're able to reduce um, by being a vertically integrated company. So we are actually structured into two departments. The first being our bread and butter infrastructure project, which handles the design, the construction, the O&M that I was speaking to earlier. but the second being a financing arm, which we actually just secured at the 20, end of 2019 with private equity firm Warburg Pincus, in which we have $300 million to both invest in the infrastructure projects that our microgrid side is developing and to finance other types of DER projects that might not necessarily be microgrids, such as EV charging uh, stations, particularly for the fleet sector. Um, And so within our infrastructure side, we have two major offerings. The first, as I spoke to earlier, is how most people think about microgrids, the uh, multi-building, the large campus facilities, typically universities with both thermal and electric loads that you're optimizing for that take, you know, a little significantly more time to uh, understand, design, and develop. Uh, but also have their own benefits by optimizing the generation and load resources for that site uh, 100%. And then we have our rapid response modular microgrid, our our 2M2 product, which we developed specifically for the California market once we started tracking the uh, wildfires that were happening out in the state back in 2018. And so both of our microgrids typically revolve around the same three resources, which is solar PV, lithium ion battery storage, and natural gas. And we found that the optimization of these three resources is what balances out the resilience, the cost savings, and the sustainability value proposition that customers are looking for. Um, Microgrids are really driven by a need for resilience. And without the natural gas aspect of our microgrids, we can't provide the long-term backup power that is gonna be required for the large CNI customers that we serve. So the average public safety power shut off in California in the month, was in the month of October, and it was 46 hours, which with large customer loads like what we're typically serving or larger, uh, 
you can't typically do that in a cost-effective manner with just solar and storage. So we've found that the optimization of those three resources are really what's giving the customers what they want, which is cost-effective and sustainable resilience. What sector are you seeing that's kind of popped up here as of late that you're starting to see utilize more uh, microgrids? You know, the grocery store sector has been really interesting, um, particularly out in California. So with all the public safety power shutoffs um, last year, there was a lot of food spoilage that happened after, and when they couldn't keep their food cold for 46 hours straight. And so we've been working with a few uh, large companies out there to kind of identify good spots for behind the meter microgrids. Um, and build it out in that manner. Historically, for scale microgrid solutions, we've been pretty successful with the indoor agricultural space. They essentially are like mini data centers, right? Mm. So they have are making their own sun, which requires a lot of energy consumption. And depending on what they're growing, that can be really sensitive to um, to power outages for a certain amount of time. You can lose an entire crop depending on how long that power outage happens. And so that's where we've kind of been most successful on the East Coast. Now, you've mentioned the behind the meter microgrid uh, several times, and I know just from reading, uh, going to y'all's website and some of the work you've done on there. Um, what exactly, t- tell the folks at home a little bit about what a behind the meter microgrid is. Right. So when you think about your meter, that's typically like the connect point that divides what's the utility own and operator wires and what's going to be like for your specific uh, commercial or industrial facility or site. So by building behind the meter, we are able to control and manage the microgrid through our own services. Anything that's in front of the meter has to have a different interconnection process with the utility. Um, they're essentially going to be either the, it depends on whatever contract that you work out with them, but the front of the meter is the utility operated microgrid. And when anything that's built, you can island anything that's behind the meter because that's the point of common coupling. That's where you can kind of divide who manages what infrastructure for either the utility or the microgrid. So when you do behind the meter, you guys kind of monitor things? Correct. We monitor and optimize the microgrid and the services. So we put down our own microgrid controller, which is also an important part of the microgrids that we build. And we have our engineering team um, optimizing and running and building out this, uh, the algorithms that optimize the microgrid and the services that it provides. Oh, wow. And so do you guys provide them with all the information on the amount of, you know, watch they're using, what have you? I mean, how, how, how does that work? How, how, I mean, what kind of what kind of communication then do you have with the company that, that once you once you guys kind of take over the role of the utility? I mean, data center, I guess, if you will. So it really depends on where the customer is, what their loads look like and what services the microgrid can provide. So for some customers, uh, they're so large that we can't build enough solar or battery storage that are ever going to net export to the grid. So it's really going to be about uh, running the system to reduce their demand charges. And so we'll be operating that from like a behind the meter perspective and like we'll be taking into account the different uh microgrid services and the revenues they can provide and then optimizing it in that way, shape or manner. Um, In markets where there is like in the PGM market where we can provide ancillary services to the grid, we can bid in uh, the battery or the natural gas generator to provide things uh, like, well, for the battery be frequency regulation. 
and the microgrid will be optimizing when is it best to be providing the frequency regulation services for the grid versus um, the demand response services or the demand charge management that's really a big cost driver for commercial industrial customers uh, and managing the different poles of the customer needs and the grid needs um, behind the meter. You know, Sammy, uh, all this is fascinating. We're only going to see it continue to grow. There's no doubt about that. This is what the country needs to, uh, to, became, to become more green, to become healthier, uh, to help, help our kids and our grandkids all stay healthier later in life, right? As we mm -hmm. all get old, uh, particularly those of my age category. <laughs> versus Speak for yourself, Mike. Speak for yourself. Anyway, uh, you seem to have a passion for this as you speak. I'm sitting back and I'm just watching you and, uh, and listening to what you're saying. I see somewhat of a passion there. Tell us how, what drove you to that passion? How did that all come to be? Yeah, I mean, definitely. I've, you know, really been pretty good about just following what interests me in life. And so that has eventually by picking and choosing fun classes in college and really digging into uh, the energy space, that's where that's kind of been driven and pulled from. And so the energy sector is so dynamic and interesting and relevant and pertinent, and it touches so many aspects in our lives, not just how we use it for work every day, but just how it's generated and the air quality impacts and the carbon pollution impacts that, you know, go into the ocean sink. It's so essential to how we we need to build a better grid and future and how we like operate on a day-to-day -day basis that it's hard not to be drawn to such a dynamic and interesting realm that touches so many different aspects. When I started off um, after college trying to find a job in the energy space, I was conducting a ton of informational interviews uh, in the state of Colorado and building out my network in that manner. But from working in like a specific resource such as hydro or solar uh, to all the different regulatory avenues that you can participate in and like the local, the county, the state, the federal level in front of the PUC at the legislature um, to what we're kind of doing with microgrids right now, which is optimizing multiple DERs or working at like the utility space. There's so many facets and niches to the uh, energy sector and all the impacts that it has not only to um you know how we produce and generate but the climate change in general it was hard not to be drawn to it sammy you've got uh, just a, again just a remarkable uh how you've done all this and and just your journey thus far and you're, you're only just beginning so we'll get you out of here with two things one where are we at with 1339 in california and kind of what, what what are your thoughts on how you think this thing's going to play out and two how do, you, how do you see 2020 ending for scale microgrid solutions and what's on the horizon for the end of 2020 and on to 2021? Awesome. I love those questions. Um, so for 1339 right now, we are in the midst of the track to reply comments, which when they open up the first track or whenever they open up any track, they put out staff comments in which all of the different stakeholders can then go in and reply for how they think these issues should be approached. And right now, what's big and clear from the developer side of the industry is that we want a microgrid tariff. We don't want to waste our time with pilots. Um, and ideally, <laughs> I don't know how you know, how necessarily this will play out. The commission's always throwing us curveballs in the regulatory space, but that's we would hopefully get a workshop 
or two workshops between now and the end of the year in which developers will get to come or any of the microgrid stakeholder um, or the stakeholders to the microgrid proceeding can come and put their options on the table for what they want to see in a microgrid tariff and have a transparent process for us working with the utilities, the commission, other stakeholders for uh, aligning what will be in that tariff and then having that implemented by the end of the year. For scale microgrid solutions, we have a lot of really exciting projects that we're working on, both on the East Coast and on the West Coast, uh, but hopefully for the West Coast, we'll have a lot of those contracts under MOU and get those constructing and operating by the end of the year as well. I think we're in addition to the microgrid infrastructure space, we're also really interested in the EV fleet electrification area. There's a lot of initiatives across the city, county, state, um, governments that are really looking at how can we electrify our fleets, both, you know, uh, heavy uh, truck infrastructure, so like delivery, like Amazon, or from like their bus systems. And that's going to be putting a lot of load onto the system or onto the grid that isn't necessarily accounted for right now as like, you know, the average bus station maybe has a little bit of load for the lights <laughs> that are operating and now they're going to be managing and charging a lot of infrastructure that's also going to be really expensive and an exciting opportunity to finance and so i am excited to see us moving beyond like the microgrids that we'll be building out for critical facilities across the united states to also expanding into the transportation area as well that's fantastic. That's fantastic, and you guys are certainly doing God's work over there. Give us your uh, what, what's your uh, Twitter account, and what, what, what's your what is your social media medium of choice, Miss Reefer? Oh, definitely Twitter, or I guess LinkedIn as well. Though I'm a little bit more active on the Twitter sphere, and I'm just Sammy Reefer, R E I F E R, um, for my Twitter login or login twitter username <laughs> gotcha 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 okay perfect perfect well thank you again so much for taking time out of your monday night uh this has been extremely educational and uh i know you know again you're, do you're doing a lot of work over there in california and i know that's near and dear to your heart being that's your home state and hopefully we can uh, see some traction there pretty soon and uh get those folks some of the much needed you know electrical relief that uh they certainly need yeah, no, I definitely agree. I mean, especially with all of the uh, most intense part of the wildfire season coming up, I'm hoping, hoping that we can get some solutions in the ground to help people soon. But um, this has been really fun for me. I appreciate all the really great questions y'all had and y'all taking the time to chat with me. And so excited to see uh, where this all goes. Thank you, Sammy. We appreciate your time tonight. You have a good day and be safe out there. Yeah, thank you. You too. Thanks again to Sammy Reefer, Director of Special Projects over there at Scale Microgrid Solutions. A lot of good information there. Uh, she's got a lot of program, a lot, just a lot of good work she's doing over there in California. It'll be interesting to see how that whole thing plays out. Mike, you know as well as anybody, you know, when, when you can have the best intention of the world, but when politics are involved, it's just it's hard telling what direction that whole thing might go into. Boy, that's, your, that's the truth. Uh, you know, you get politics involved and everything slows down. And that's what they don't need in California. They need to solve some of these problems. You know, that wildfire out there now, they've already burned a million, uh, 1.2 million acres. And so it's only going to get worse. Every year seems to get yeah. a little bit worse. So hopefully they can get the regulation put in place where microgrids can be put in place and businesses don't go down. Homes don't lose their power and these brownouts can stop. So anyway, we do appreciate the time from Sammy and the team at microgrid, uh, at scale microgrid solutions. 
Uh, it's good information there, and I hope all of our listeners enjoyed that conversation. I certainly hope they did. This has been episode number six of the Green Insider Podcast, powered by eRenewal. Make sure you follow us on Twitter at eRenew2020. You can always go to our website, eRenew.net. Of course, always uh, our phone lines are available 24-7-1-866, eRenew1. That's one eight six. E-R-E-N-E-W and the number one to learn more about e-renewable or if you've got something you'd like to work with or just a project that you've got in mind that we can help you with certainly give Mike a call and he will get back to you uh, quite promptly so uh, glad to have you guys on board make sure you check us out make sure you can go to Google Play uh, Google Podcast as well as Apple iTunes give us a five star rating subscribe to the podcast you'll be glad you did we've got a bunch of projects uh, on the podcast that we're working on here that are going to be coming out in the next month or two uh, and throughout the course of 2020 that Mike and I are very excited about doing a lot of hard work behind the scenes with the entire e-renewable team so we're very very excited about what we have coming down the pike and we are sure you will be too so if you missed any of the episodes up to now go to Apple go to Google go to eRenew.net you will be glad you did because uh, there's a lot of good information out there so once again thank you to Sammy Reefer thanks to everybody for uh, your help in the podcast as well the Green Insider Podcast powered by eRenew e-renewable where we make going green a whole heck of a lot easier thank you so much for listening good night god bless